There is a time for learning and absorbing knowledge, but then there must also come a time when such knowledge as you have learned must be practiced, put to practical use, or else it truly is of no value. Without properly applying the ideas you are absorbing in your life, your life will remain barren of the greater good that you say you desire. Your thoughts do indeed become things, and so guard them carefully. Many valuable and practical suggestions are to be found in these pages, but they have to be put to use before they will mean anything. You know, um, we're using this book, Think Your Troubles Away, of Ernest Holmes uh, for inspiration in this series on faith. And uh, we're about two-thirds of the way through the book, and that was how he started this particular chapter, by cautioning us that, you know, all of the things we talk about are, are fine and good as theories on Sunday, right? But maybe we need to get beyond the theoretical. And so the third part of, uh, of this book really is how do we then shape our thoughts? If what we, what we say is true, if our thoughts become things, if it is the impress of our mind and our ideas and beliefs that outpicture in the world, then how do we go about actually changing them? And so today the talk is entitled Effective Thought, uh, and we're going to learn just that. I thought I would start with uh, maybe a joke about effective thought. So an uneducated fellow decided, you know, he wasn't going anywhere in life, and he thought maybe he'd go back to community college. So he first went in to see the counselor who rec recommended that he take a class in logical thinking. Well, now, what is logical thinking, the man asked. Well, the professor answers, it's an effective way to think. Let me give you an example. Do you own a weed eater? Well, yeah, sure I do, said the man then I can assume, using logical and effective thinking, that you must have a yard. Well, that's real good, said the man. Yeah, I do have a yard. The professor continued, Now, logic will also tell me that since you have a yard, you most likely live in a house. Well, that's true. Amazing, actually, said the fellow. And since you own a house... And since you care for it somewhat well, since this is important to you, I will assume that you share it. I'll make the assumption, I'll make the deduction, if you will, that you have a wife. Why, that's Betty May, said the man. This is incredible. The uneducated person was starting to catch on. Finally, since you have a wife, I can assume that you're heterosexual, said the professor. You're absolutely right. Why, that's the most amazing. Take this class in effective thinking. So he went home and he was kind of talking it over with his friends. And one fellow said, so what's this class you're taking? It's called logical and effective thinking. Well, what is that, said the man. Well, let me give you an example, he says. Do you own a weed eater, asked our fellow. Well, no, said the man. After all these years, you never mentioned you were gay. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to hopefully do a little better job <laughs> of talking about effective thinking today. You know, in this book, it outlines three ways to make our thoughts truly effective. One of them we've talked about uh, a little bit before, but I wanted to put it in a little bit bigger or higher relief today. Have you ever heard the phrase, and it's right out of scripture actually, that a house divided against itself will never stand. 
Well, the meaning of that, of course, is that if you end up with something in conflict in your own heart, in your own mind, no good will come of it. We really have to be in alignment. If we want to see change in our life, if we want to see uh, some of those dreams we've been talking about for a couple weeks now, we need to be in alignment in our thoughts, in our ideas, in our words, in our deeds, in our action. The more we can make them consistently in alignment with what we want to achieve in life, whether it be love or greatness or career or peace or um, you know a happy, uh, a happy marriage or whatever it might be, the more we can bring all of our mind and body and spirit into alignment, the better things will go. And I wanted to use a, an example from my own life. Um, uh, many of you know that my, my mom passed away a, a couple years ago, and prior to that, something very unsettling happened to her. Um, about mid-70s, um, her health wasn't doing so well, and we thought it would be a good idea if we lived closer together. So she and I um, found an apartment for here in the city, and when she came to move, what I realized shortly after that was that she was starting to become depressed, and we talked about it a little bit. And she said, well, you know, I figured it out. It's because I don't have any friends anymore. You know, at 75, many of them have passed away, friends I had since I was a schoolgirl or friends I had when, you know, you, Larry, were, were a child. Some of my longest friends on the planet just aren't even here anymore. And then because I moved up here, some of the friends I've made later just aren't available. I mean, I know I can phone them and I know I can write to them, but it isn't the same as hooking up with friends you really care about and, and hanging out, and I think that's it. And so we talked a little bit about it, and what I realized, well, I realized a couple things, but one of them was she hadn't made a new friend in probably 25 years. And when she talked about meeting new people and making friends, I could tell that she really didn't know how to do it anymore, that she felt that she was not really up to the task. She, she was literally afraid. And, and, I, and, and of course, any of you who also have had a seven-year-old that has gone off to kindergarten for the first time, right? What's one of their big fears? They won't like me, right? And so what I, I came to believe was that, that this was kind of in my mom's heart, that she had something in her that felt people wouldn't like her or that it would be very difficult. In fact, she even said things like, well, at my age, you know, who would want to be a friend? Well, I had to do some thinking around this. And what I finally came up with, and she was very excited about it, was what if we threw a party? Because I knew that if simply she went around her same old, same old existence in business around meeting people, that if she didn't believe she was worthy of friends, if she didn't believe she knew how to make friends, if she didn't believe that friendship was in the cards for her, so to speak, it probably wasn't going to happen. Oh my gosh, what a difference. It was amazing. First off, she like dredged up you know, like birthday party planning from, you know, 50 years earlier. And she was so excited about figuring out this party. She had the meal figured out and she was sending me out to buy decorations and she'd invited all the neighbors in her new place. And, and she was so excited about it. And you know what it did? That excitement dispelled, or, or at least it shoved away any self-doubt she had. She wasn't thinking anymore, how likely am I really to get friends? There was the excitement of inviting people to this, and the food's going to be great, and, and maybe you can find someone to play the piano. And Well, I'm, I got stuck with a lot of the work, but I want to tell you, it was so totally worth it to see her light up. She had that party, and she had 
at least a dozen friends instantly. Friends that were with her from then until the end of her days. Was it the party? I don't think so. You should have been there that day. Her face was lit up like Christmas. Do you know what I mean when I say that? It's like there was a glow about her. She was excited to be there. The planning that she'd put into it, the food, knowing that everything was just right, it dispelled any doubts that she had. She was in complete, and think about the idea of alignment again, right? She was in complete alignment. Her thoughts were around friendship and the excitement of this party and meeting new people, right? Her actions and her deeds and her emotions were all in perfect alignment, and she achieved even more than she could have imagined. This is one of the secrets of effective thought. If there's anything at war in our own minds, if there's self-doubts or, or things in us that can't quite believe that we, we want to have that thing that we have, this will sabotage us. And even if we have to trick ourselves, it's okay. If we need to proverbially throw a party, that's okay. If it will get us off the track of, you know, I can't do that, or I'm not good enough to do that, or I'm not smart enough to do that, this is where we need to head. We need to head into a place where we can be in alignment so that there isn't one set of thoughts saying, oh, of course you can do what you want to do. Of course you can write that book. Of, of course you can get that better job. Well, of course you're lovable and you'll find that partner. If on the other shoulder is that other little voice that says, you're too old, you're not educated enough, you're, what makes you think at your age you're going to do this? You know, No one ever finds true happiness in marriage. You know, nine out of eight marriages end in divorce and, you know, and all, all that kind of crazy. But, I mean, we have thoughts like that, don't we? And if our mind is divided against itself, if one ear is getting all of the, the good news of the day and the other ear is simply filling our head with negativity and nonsense, we're not going to get where we need to go. So that's the principle of alignment. And when you are aligned, those thoughts that are in alignment will be very productive, they'll be effective. The next thing is something that is very simple, and yet it can be elusive. Um, they did a, a survey, the, the Gallup people did a survey, oh, a couple years ago, because they were curious about whether people really did tend to see the world with, have you heard the phrase seeing the world through rose-colored glasses, or the idea that, that some people see the life as though the glass were half empty, and, and some people see the, the world as though the glass were half empty? Well, oddly enough, or, or maybe not oddly enough, uh, it, it, it's true that slightly more than half of the people on the planet view the planet as slightly hostile, slightly you know, difficult, slightly harder than average. And the other half of the population, plus a little bit, tend to think that the world is getting better and that life is for them and there are opportunities to be... Do you know what I mean? I gotta tell you, those of us that live on the positive side are happier. And that was the other thing that the survey showed. If we could do anything to adjust our lives, even a little bit. Uh, have you heard the idea, too, of set points that work a little bit like a thermometer, that if it's too cold, you'll want to get up and turn the heat up, and if it's too hot, you'll want to get up and, and turn the heat down a little bit? Well, we can do the same thing with our own ideas of what's good and, and, and lovely and wonderful in our lives. Let us not settle for where we write 
are, where we are right now in terms of happiness, in terms of thinking that the world is good and fine and lovely. There is always more to be had. And when we have that attitude, when we have that presence of mind to see life as positive, that's what makes happiness ultimately. Now I know it can be difficult those of us who listen to the, to the news, those of us who uh, um, you know, maybe meet a lot of people out in the world, we're going to have some of those negative ideas uh, impressed upon us, aren't we? I mean, even though right now in America we're the safest we've been since the 1950s, you wouldn't know that from reading the newspapers, right? What are the headlines in, in almost every newspaper? Well, so-and-so was killed, or, or so-and-so came to, to no good end, or there were robberies in the Northeast area, or what, you know, whatever it might be. And they present these isolated events in a way that what's our conclusion? Our conclusion is that the world isn't safe anymore. But I gotta tell you, so much of what we believe just isn't even true. Let me give you a couple examples here. Um, who knows how tall Napoleon Bonaparte was? Any ideas? 5'2"? Five, 4'11"? Four, five, 5'6"? Five, 5'6 six. Five, six is correct. What do you think the average height in 1750 for a man was? Five, six. Now, why do we have this, this urban legend? Well, before there was an urban. <laughs> but why do we have this idea that there's this Napoleonic complex that says that people of diminutive stature you know, have to overachieve? It's founded on a complete myth. For his day, Napoleon was of completely average height. Another one, who has heard the idea that the uh, first president of the United States had wooden teeth? George Washington, wooden teeth? Yeah, about half of you. Totally not true. I mean, the Smithsonian, I mean, this is a little scary, but the Smithsonian Museum actually has all of his sets of teeth on display. None of them, and no part of them, are made of wood. How many things in our life do we assume are true because we've read it, or we've heard it, or we've come to believe it, and it's not true. Well, I'm here to tell you something even more disturbing. Most of what you believe about yourself is also not true. Most of what you believe is true about yourself right in this moment was created by your parents, was created by people that you went to school with, was created by some of your friends in high school. Some of your earliest memories have colored your life into thinking what you think right now. Now, if this is for the positive, it's like, phew, you know. I'm pleased to say that some of the key messages I had as a child was, you know, you can do anything. If you put your mind to it, you can do anything. Some of the key messages I had as a child was that the universe is a loving place and things get better with each passing day. But, oh my gosh, I know people that were told the most frightening things as children that they weren't good enough, that, that poverty is the nature of the, uh, of the world, that most relationships end badly. Any number of things might have been what we were raised on, and it is simply 
not the truth for you unless that's where you go with it. So the key aspect here of effective thought is making sure that it's positive, making sure that it's going to lead you in a direction that you want to go. Why live on the negative side of things when most of that negativity has simply been made up? The thoughts of lack and limitation that we have, the beliefs that we have about the world being hazardous or, or downwardly spiring, or all of those things, all of them are only true if you want them to be. And in fact, if you uh, go with this idea of facts versus fiction, and I, I mean, we could even debate that one, what truly is a fact and what truly is a, is a fiction. But what it has come down to me is that most of what we hear is simply an opinion. So let us have an opinion, especially about ourselves, that is positive, that is wholesome, that is true, that is loving, that is gracious, that is peaceful, that is wonderful. It is simply your choice. The third area of effective thoughts are that they be personal and that they be powerful. Occasionally I'll have people that will come to me and say, you know, I, I bought this book by Louise Hay and it is so wonderful and I've been reading the affirmations out of it. And I'll say, this is wonderful. Louise Hay is one of my personal metaphysical uh, heroes, actually. But I'll say, how are those affirmations working for you? Well, some pretty good and some so not. And I'll say, well, what do you mean? Uh, you know, give, give me one of the examples of one of the affirmations. And they'll say something like, uh, well, um, I know that the universe is infinite. And because it's infinite, um, I guess that I have, uh, I have the, I can tap into that infinity because the infinity that's God is me. And I'll say, is that as good as it gets? I mean, not wanting to be mean or anything, but did you kind of notice my lack of conviction? For a thought to be effective, it needs to really resonate with the heart. And whether we're using affirmations, whether we're using um, um, a form of prayer, whether we're simply setting out to have a good day, even something as simple as waking up in the morning and really setting out to have a good day, let these thoughts be powerful. Let them be uniquely you. Let's not borrow anyone else's. I mean, if, if Louise Hay can give us some insight or inspiration, I'm all for it. That's probably one of the reasons you come here on Sunday is for that insight and inspiration. But then let us take it and make it our own. Let's us get jazzed up about the thoughts we have. Let's get that feeling of fire in the belly when, when we're going to go out and seize the day. We want to use the language and the words and the ways of being and the thoughts and the pictures that call to us. It's our universe that ought to be ordered in the way it ought to look, the way it ought to smell and taste the way that we want it to. And when these are the way we construct our thoughts, they are amazingly powerful. It's not just recycling someone else's thought, right? Because then we're back to that idea of, well, did someone else train me to believe this? Or is it my belief? Is it what I want to experience? Is it the goodness that I should have in my language, in my thought patterns, something that means something exciting, something wonderful, something heartfelt to me? So to recap, these are the three types of effective thoughts. 
They should be in alignment, meaning you should be consistent and do what's necessary to have a set of thought that's, that is in alignment with itself as well as your actions, your words, and your deeds. The second part is to make sure that your thoughts are of a positive nature as best you can. Really take a look at that, is my glass half full, is my glass half empty kind of metaphor and make sure that the thoughts we're going to use to create the future are a future that is positive. Now, people have accused me before of being kind of the Pollyanna, uh, Pollyanna type. Do you know what that means? That, the idea of Pollyanna is, uh, is when you spend all day in the barn uh, shoveling uh, horse shit, and, uh, and you're all a smile because you know there's a horse in there somewhere. Do, do you know what I mean? Okay. But I want to ask you, I want to ask you, even if I am Pollyanna, wouldn't you rather be happy? So what if we have to make it up a little bit? What if we have to struggle a little bit some days to see the good side of things? Wouldn't you rather be happy? Even, even as you're working through something that's difficult, even as you're maybe struggling a little bit with life, from a position of happiness, there's a certain power there. So consider that. If you're in a situation that's rough, if you're having ideas of lack and limitation, take a look at whether or not you can simply flip it. Do a, a kind of a mental exercise and flip it. The next part of this book does a, a it's, not, it's not an entirely an easy segue because we go from talking about effective thoughts right into the aspect of prayer. But I thought one thing that might be fun to talk about is the idea of prayer as effective. So why do you think it is that some people's prayers are not effective or, or not answered, if you will? Well, I put this to a group of ministers. Once a month, I meet with a, a Portland area uh, ministers group. And, and I'm the only one from Science of Mind. So I thought this would be really interesting. Why do you think prayers are not effective? Well, some of the people had ideas pretty close to what we would believe here. But oh my gosh, a couple people, one person, one minister said, well, it's because things happen in God's time. God's simply withholding that goodness from your life until it's ready. And I thought, I'm not sure that I like this idea of God. Why would God withhold something from me? What is this? I mean, I understand that I'm part of God and that some things don't happen instantly, but this idea of withholding certainly doesn't fit in with a, an idea of God that I like to have. And another minister, of course, one-ups that one by saying, well, you have lessons to learn, and until you've learned your lessons, you're not ready to receive your prayers. And I, I was like sitting on my hands at that point because <laughs> it's like, I know God is not some guy pulling strings like a puppet master teaching us lessons through poverty and sickness and things like that. It's like, no way. No way is that God. And it wasn't until I got uh, three quarters of the way through this book that I got a beautiful answer from Ernest Holmes himself. Here's what he says. There still remains the question, why is it that some people's prayers are answered and some are not? The answer is the prayer. There are times when our prayer is in accord with reality and with goodness and with light, and that prayer is going to be answered. 
if we embrace three concepts, the unity with good, the belief in good, and the receptivity and the mental equivalent for good, these prayers will always be answered. And so I thought it would be fun to take that apart today. And I was halfway through uh, redoing my sermon a little bit when I realized we've kind of already done it. <laughs> Unity with good, what is that? That's alignment. It's knowing that there isn't anything outside of this concept with good. That if we are in alignment, if we are recognizing unity with our good, letting go of the, of the crosstalk and other people's beliefs and what the newspaper says, if we stick with unity to what we know to be good and pure and true and what we're going to experience, then we will. And the second part was a receptivity in good. That's knowing that life is positive. That is recognizing that the, the universe is here for us and not against us. It is that inner knowing that today will be better than yesterday and the day after this can be better yet. And that the problems that come up that can be solved and the issues that we face have, have equitable and loving inspirations and resolutions. This is the glass half full. This is that belief in good. And then finally, a personal receptivity to and the mental equivalent of your good, that is simply putting it in your own words. That is simply having that picture in your mind that's uniquely yours that brings up the feelings that you wish to experience. It is that sense of power and knowing that your goals are your goals that your affirmation of good for the future is yours and not someone else's. We really have the secret here of life, whether it's about our effective thinking, whether it's about being in prayer, whether it's about just showing up in the world in a way that will be a delight to yourself and others. These three, I believe, are the answer. And so I'm going to close today with just a summary and a tiny bit of homework. The summary is unification. Let us unify our thoughts to the best that we can. Let's put aside thoughts to the contrary of what we want to have and unify our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our action to all reflect what it is we want to see in the world. The second piece of it is simply that our life is an affirmation. The more we can effectively think of our good, good will be present. And finally, it's just to not be dissuaded by other people's pictures of our good. That our thoughts should be our thoughts. That our life should be of our own making. That the words that turn us on, the, the ways of thinking that bring passion to us are the right ones for us. And let us use them. So homework today, I'm sure you can tell where I'm headed with this one. What I would ask you to do, if you're up for a, just a tiny bit of homework, is to take an area in your life that could use some improvement. You know, there might be one area in your life, or maybe two, where things aren't quite as good as you might like them to be, or, or you're feeling not quite as effective, or, or whatever it is. Find an area that could use a little tinkering in your life, and simply ask yourself whether your thoughts of that subject are effective. Are they in unity? Are your words, your actions, your deeds, and the, the composition of the thoughts themselves, are they in alignment? 
are they positive? Or do you have an undercurrent of negative thinking about that issue going through your head? Are you worried about it? Do you dwell on what already has happened? Any of those negative ways of thinking can derail you from seeking out really what you want to have. And then finally, in that particular area in your life, do you feel free to really define it for you? Or are you taking the cues from other people? People who maybe love you, they still don't have to define who you are. Only you can define who you are. And the thoughts that go with that are supremely effective. All right, I'm going to close with a prayer. There is one power, one presence in this universe. It is this thing that I call life itself. It is God, of course. God in all of that glory, all the love, all the life, all the joy, all the peace, all of the goodness that has ever existed and ever will exist, its source, of course, God. And we bring these sources into our own life. I'll, I'll claim it for myself. My good is my ability to clearly, in my mind, effectively think of that same good. And when I do, God says yes. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that for each person here, your heart's desire is yours to have as long as you're in alignment with it. And so for each person here, I know there's a greater degree of that ability to master our own thoughts, to live closer to God, to, to be able to organize our thoughts in such a way that they are in alignment for our own good and the good of the world. I know that for each person here, there is that ability to upscale our thoughts to be ever more positive around what needs to happen and what we're capable of and the way the world holds us so dearly. And finally, for each person here, I know that there's that authenticity in our thoughts that we take the time to recognize in our own thinking really what energizes us, really what propels us forward. For each person here, there's a unique power, a unique connection to God. And that God says yes to the thoughts, to the dreams, to the intentions of each person here. And so I'm simply grateful for this. I'm simply grateful for recognizing that higher wisdom self in every person in this room. I'm simply grateful in recognizing the presence of God now and always. I let it be. And together we say... And so it is. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being here today. Thank you.